The following program is recorded content created by the Truth Network. Thanks, friends, for joining us on the line of fire. Michael Brown, I am coming your way live from Harrisburg, or actually Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania, teaching at Global Awakening Seminary all this week. So these will be students, master's level, doctoral level, teaching on revival in the Old Testament, and then praying for God's fire to burn brightly in each heart and life. So we'll be with you live each day this week, but audio only. So everyone listening on radio, podcast, same voice as always. Those used to see in my smiling face, mustache, and all on YouTube and Facebook. Just picture the smiling face through the day. Phone number, as always, 866-34-TRUTH, 866-348-7884. Now, uh, I'll probably have some time to just take some generic questions you might have. Maybe you couldn't get through on Friday. You've got a Bible theology question or something you want to talk to me about. I'll probably be able to get to some calls more random in nature later in the broadcast. But I want to ask you this question first. In your view, and this is not the focus of our topic today, but I want to put this out for your response. In your view, what are some of the main reasons or what is the main reason, in your opinion, that the Republicans did not do as well as expected in the midterms, that as opposed to the red wave, which was expected and there was every reason to expect it because the midterms almost always push back. So you vote for Democrat president in, in say, 2016. Then you push back with voting for a lot of Republicans in the midterms in 2018. I mean, it's the reverse in terms of what actually happened, but a Democrat, Republican. But this is a pattern that's very normal, very common. And when you have a president with a poor approval rating, when you have economic issues, when you have other things going on that make the current administration unpopular, it's very normal, it's very natural to have a pushback. So a red wave was expected. It's got closer. Some said, hey, it might not be as much as we're expecting, but it looks like just a ripple uh, more than anything in terms of a wave. Why do you think that happened? Uh, was it because of a backlash after the overturning of Roe v. Wade? that women came out in large number and said, we, we want, quote, our abortion rights? Was it that there were some bad candidates picked because of Trump's influence? Was it that people were pushing election denial and that was not right? Do you think there was voter fraud again in certain ways? Are there other things we're not looking at? Uh, what do you think? Just get your views on this, 866-348-7884. Okay, here's what I want to focus on today. Why bother fighting the culture wars? I mean, come on. Are, are we ever going to win? Are we ever really going to see the tide turn? You, you, it looks like you take one step in the right direction, two steps in the wrong direction. Why bother? It can seem discouraging. It can seem like, oh, come on. You know, it's a Roe v. Wade overturn. Now these different states, now the abortion goes back to the states. They pour, enforce these radical abortion laws. Some say that law in California is, is as radical, extreme as any, any pro-abortion law in the world. People of Montana voted that even if a baby is, survives an abortion, is born alive, over half of them voted, no, you don't have to guarantee medical protection for that child, and, and that if someone will not enforce it, that they won't go to jail. That So a baby born alive, and a doctor says, no, we're just going to let the baby die, and, and there's no criminal penalty for that. That's what the people voted for. Why, why bother? 
And okay, you have one victory here, then you have same-sex court marriage over here. And, and it's, this is like you're bailing water out of a boat that's sinking. And then some have a theology that the boat's definitely going to sink. And this is the last generation. So why bother with that? I mean, we know it's all over. We know everything's coming down. We know Jesus said it's going to get worse before his return. His return is obviously getting closer. So why bother? These are some of the things that people think about. Now, I've addressed the theological issue many times. I've addressed the issue of the wrongness of saying, well, we know it's all going to come down before Jesus returns, and obviously the signs of his coming are everywhere, so, so let's just get out, you know, win as many lost people as we can, get people to heaven, because everything's coming down, right? Look at it like this. We know the building is collapsing. We know that things are getting worse, and any minute it's going to completely collapse. So rather than trying to patch the holes in the wall, let's just get everybody out of the building. That's how many are thinking. Of course, the problem with that way of thinking is that you don't know that Jesus is coming any moment. You don't know he's going to come in a day or a week or a month or a year. That's why you went to work today rather than just witness to your friends all day. That's why you're still taking classes in school. That's why you didn't just empty your savings account to, to reach every lost person you could by you know, getting gospel literature to because we still live in this world. And when I got saved now 51 years ago, 51 years ago, uh, we were told Jesus was coming any minute then. And, and so many of us had the mentality, we're out of here. Why have long-term thinking? Why have multi-generational thinking? But the radical feminists and the gay liberationists and the sexual anarchists and the, and the others with all of their different ideologies, they didn't think they were going anywhere. So they just made their plans to change society with their ideals, with what they felt was right and best, and they did a good job of it. I think they did a good job of doing a bad job, right? But they did a good job of it. They brought about a lot of social cultural change from, from the workplace to, to media and social media to, to the courts to Hollywood and so on and so forth. Our educational system, right down to preschool. They had an agenda. They brought, hey, we're out of here. And, and now we're upset because of where things have gone. Jesus may not come for 50 years or 100 years. I don't, I don't know for a fact that he, that he will come within a time. I long to see him come. I long to see him come within my lifetime. I'm 67 now. Let's say I live to be 97. If God gave me that much time, right? That's still within 30s. I'd love to see it happen. But there's, there's no guarantee it's going to happen. But coming back to the point of, okay, let's put that aside. Let's, let's put aside for a moment the theology. Let's just be practical. Why bother fighting the culture wars? I mean, we engage in so much effort, we engage in so much energy, and we put our hopes in this, and we do our best, and then it seems this fails, and that goes wrong, and why bother? I'm going to give you 10 reasons. I'm going to give you 10 reasons why we should still be fighting the culture wars. Number one, if we don't engage, society completely collapses. If we do nothing, if we do not shine our light, if we do not function as salt, if we are the salt of the earth, right? We are the moral conscience of the society. You take us out, there is complete societal collapse. The forces of chaos absolutely triumph. The forces of darkness absolutely dominate. We won't even be able to live normal lives, let alone practice our faith. We won't be able to live normal lives if we abdicate our responsibility. 
especially in a country like America, where we have so many tens of millions of believers and so much ability to have a voice and an impact on radio and TV and intranet and writing and, and, and voting and, and in so many other ways. You take us out. If we are the light of the world and you take us out, where is the light coming from? So that's, that's the first thing. If we don't engage, society collapses. That's point one. Point two, if we don't engage, we lose our conscience and we lose our souls. We lose our conscience and we lose our souls. What do I mean? Well, let's just say that you witness evil being done in front of your eyes and you do nothing to stop it. You do nothing to rebuke it. You do nothing to address it. That will actually influence and impact who you are on the inside. That will actually make you less and less human. That will actually draw you away from God, away from sensitivity, away from compassion, away from righteousness. Just, just picture this. Okay, you're walking down the street, and, and you see this homeless guy. He's laying there on the street, and and a, a couple of kids go walking past him. They're just on their way to their school, which is right around the corner there. And they just got off the bus, and they're just walking over to the school. And you see this homeless guy jump on them, and, and they're screaming and trying to run. You're like, well, look, there are a lot of kids getting attacked in different parts of the world, and then people starving here. And, you know, I can't do anything. I can't. You know, what, what can I do? <laughs> would, you do would you just walk by? Would you just walk? At the very least, I mean, let's just say that you were frail physically yourself or, or didn't know what to do. You were in a pack. At the very least, you call 911 or you scream. You say, help. You do something. And, and most of us would, would run and attack. You know, if we had the physical ability, we'd run and grab the person. We'd scream, stop. And then we'd run and grab them. Tell the kids, run. That's what you do. And if you risk your own life in the process, well, they're little kids being attacked. So can you imagine just walking by that? Nah, I don't want to get involved. No, that's, that's, that's how we harden our hearts. That's, that's how we lose our conscience and lose our souls. So 10 reasons why we engage in culture wars. One, if we don't engage, society collapses. If we stop functioning as salt and light, then society will collapse around us. Two, if we don't engage, we lose our conscience and we lose ourselves. How can we not engage? When, when, when your kids come home from school and they're crying over the, over the latest junk that's going on with sex ed curriculum and some, some radical teaching and, and, and some, you know, your friend Joe is now Jane and, and, and you're required to refer to Joe as, but mommy, that's Joe. That's not Jane. Joe's my friend. Now I have to call Joe Jane. Well, you know, we don't engage in the culture. What? 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 When you see the reality and the horror of abortion, yeah, well, you know, it's all this political stuff. No. <laughs> we ignore these things. We, we compromise our very soul. Uh, number three, this is who we are. As God's light, this is who we are. This is what we do. It is in our nature. You know, it's the opposite of the scorpion and the frog. You ever heard that little parable? Right. And, and the little illustration that scorpion says to the frog, hey, can I ride on your back 
across the the the, the little river here and get to the other side. And the frog says to the scorpion, well, I'm not going to let you on my back because you'll bite me. You'll sting me and, and I'll die. And he says, but if I sting you, we both die, right? We both die. And then, of course, they get out in the water and the scorpion stings the frog and the frog's going down and says, what are you doing? He goes, it's a scorpion. It's what I do. It's the opposite with us. We're children of light. We shine light. This is who we are. This is what we do. We'll be right back. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on the Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome back, friends, to the Line of Fire broadcast. Michael Brown, delighted to be with you. 866-348-7884. Again, I may take some random questions on all kinds of subjects like I do on Friday later in the broadcast, but uh, for sure, I'd love to get your feedback as to why you think the Republicans underperformed or the Democrats overperformed in the midterm elections. 866-34-TRUTH. I, I did this poll, oh, started it a couple hours ago on Twitter. All right, three, four hours ago I started it. In your view, why did the Republicans underperform so dramatically in the midterms? Uh, some choices may overlap, but choose the biggest single factor in your view. So the four choices were bad candidates, Trump is toxic, pro-abortion sentiments, voter fraud. Those are the four choices. I'll let you know how folks voted later in the broadcast. Also, another reminder, if you don't yet have our app, boy, uh, trust me, you'll love it. You will thoroughly enjoy it. So it's Ask Dr. Brown Ministries, A-S-K-D-R Brown Ministries. Ask Dr. Brown Ministries on Apple or Android. If you have our old Android, Dr. Brown app, delete that and download this one, Ask Dr. Brown Ministries. And then as soon as you get it, don't, don't do it during the show. Wait till after. Well, download it now, but then play with it after the show, right? Because you listen to me live now. But if, if, if you'll see, you can listen to the show live right on there. Missed yesterday's show, just click, or Friday's show, click to listen to that. Or what you can do, just scroll down and look at, oh, Real Messiah, that's the Jewish outreach. Consider this, oh, those are our animated short videos, five minutes, boom, on, on key subjects. Or, oh, talks with scholars, right? Talk with people like Craig Keener and others. And oh, just scroll down. You'll enjoy it. It's a lot of treasures there, and, and everything on it is, is free for you. Okay. Why engage in the culture wars when it seems that we're always going to be bailing water out until Jesus comes? And maybe the ship is taking on more water than the, when we're bailing out. And wouldn't it be better if we just spent all of our energy winning the lost? Wouldn't it be better if we just did our best? Because, look, we're talking about eternity forever and ever and ever and ever. So what, what's going to matter most is eternity. What's, what's going to matter most is people being with Jesus forever and ever and ever. And this world is going to pass. Right, who won the elections, who lost the elections, whether this bill was passed or this law was passed. Hey, come on, that's, that's all going to pass. And we're just going to be with the Lord forever and ever and ever. Isn't that the only thing that should matter? Well, that's what matters most. But we're in this world. You can just say, you know, all I'm going to do is just witness and share the gospel. Okay, where do you live? Well, I have a house. Well, how do you pay for the house? Uh, well, well, okay, uh, I'm, I'm just going to go share the gospel with people in other countries. How are you going to get there? How are you going to be supported when you get there? How are you going to learn the language? 
you know, I, well, I've got a real burden to be a doctor. Then you have to go to school and you have to study to be a doctor and you have to do these various things. Why do we get married? Why do we have kids? Why do we do anything other than just witness day? And because we live in this world and we are not just called to witness, although it's super important that we do, but to make disciples and therefore to be disciples. So I'm going to recap all 10 at the end, but let's go to, to number four. Another reason that we engage in culture wars is that doing good also means opposing evil, right? No one can argue with the fact that we are called to do good. So what, is, what does Jesus say in, in Matthew 5, 16? In the same way, so talking about you don't, you don't put a lamp, put it under a basket, you put it on a stand so it can give light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. So let me ask you a question. During the days of slavery, would it have been a good work merely to give a cold cup of water to a slave in the, who was being beaten down and, and, and pushed in, in hot weather to work brutal hours with, hey, I'm a Christian and you work for me as a slave, so I'm going to give you a cup of cold water as is, would that have been a satisfactory good deed? Or would the good deed have been to oppose the evil of slavery and do what you needed to do to set your slaves free and to work against slavery in the society? So doing good, shining light, also has the corollary of exposing darkness. Ephesians 5 tells us that light exposes darkness and that we are, we are now children of light. It's not just that we do this, but we are this. Okay, number five, we are being conformed into the image of God's Son. We are being conformed into the image of God's Son. This is one reason that we fight the culture wars. When I was praying about some of this last year, and I thank God for the platforms that we have, right, like social media platforms uh, between my personal Facebook page where you can only have 5,000 friends, right, but I think I have... 25,000 followers there, and then 580,000 on the S. Dr. Brown page. So that, that's a decent amount. That's over 600,000 people through Facebook. And although Facebook restricts a lot of things, if I put a link with an article, any article to a news site that gets restricted, I can put a quote up, I, I can put a meme up, and, and that can get to millions of people, right? That just, just through that alone. So then we have the other aspects of, of you know, YouTube, I don't know, 145, 150,000 subscribers, something like that. So we have the potential. Every so often we've had a video go viral over a million or something like that. But we reach people that way. There are a lot of people that we're able to reach. I'm, I'm grateful for that. And through our radio broadcasts and the podcasts that get downloaded by the tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands and through books. and Okay, so we, we have a good reach. But it's, it's fractional compared to what's in my heart to do for God. I don't want to be known. I don't want to big anybody, superstar, anything. There's, there, that amb there's ambition got crucified years ago. I want to glorify God and fulfill his calling. If that means living in secret and, and training you or equipping you or donating to you and you go do the work, whatever the calling is, that I want Jesus exalted. I don't want my name exalted or your name exalted. I want his name exalted. At the same time, He's spoken to me about reaching far more people than we reach, about having far more impact on those that we do reach. He's spoken to me about that as well. 
And maybe there's stuff in your heart that you feel, wow, we're, we're doing, yeah, I'm a pastor of a church and we live in a community of, of, of 500,000 people and we got 300 in our church. It's wonderful. I started with 20, but I, I want to reach thousands in our community. You know, whatever's in your heart, there, there's often a dream and vision for more. So I was praying. I said, Lord, think about this. You, you've got worldly people. And they put out the most ridiculous, idiotic video, and it gets watched you know, 38 million times. And then the most lewd, vulgar music video, and it gets downloaded a billion times. It's like, what in the world is going on? And, and then there can be other Christian voices that seem to be more entertaining than edifying, more tickling ears than changing hearts. And, and they get big followings. And so I was just asking the Lord, not not in a, a way of, well, I wish I had the following. They, no, it's not. Listen, leave, I leave everything for Jesus. Lose everything for him. Have everyone turn on me for the gospel. So be it. If you're a real disciple, you've crossed that line. I've crossed that line. That's not the issue. I was saying, Lord, you can just, boom, just press a button, so to say. In, in a moment of time, in a, in, a, in a split second, you can push a button. And, and instead of me talking to 10 people, I'm talking to 100. Instead of talking to 10,000, I'm talking to a million. Instead of talking to a million, I'm talking to 10 million. And, and God spoke to me. The Spirit spoke to me. And, and two, two things that struck He said, one, I felt the Spirit say this to my heart. I, I'm looking at eternity. God's saying, I'm looking at eternity. In other words, Mike Brown, you're looking at things right now in this world. There is a much, 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 much bigger picture that God is building towards that goes beyond this world forever and ever and ever. And that's not determined by how many followers or likes or clicks or anything. The other thing was, he said, I'm conforming you to the image of my son. So by doing what we do, by standing for righteousness, by loving justice, by caring for the least of these, by, by pushing back against unrighteousness, we are becoming more and more like Jesus. We are taking on more and more of, of a godly character. It's just like exercise. You exercise certain parts of your body, certain muscles, and you see results there. So this is like exercising a muscle. It, it is something that we do as part of our calling to be conformed to the character of the Son of God. And the flip side of that, the negative flip side, would be that the, the more that we don't stand for what's right, the more that we just let evil triumph, the more that we, we let unrighteousness just flood the world and do nothing, the more we become conformed to the character of the flesh and the character of the world. So not everything we do is for immediate results. Not everything we do is for present tense victories. Certain things we do are for eternity. Certain things that we do are, are to become more like Jesus. Just like when you humble yourself in certain ways and you take reproach, and, and even though you're in the right, you let others you let others get the credit or, or you're painted as wrong, and okay, rather than start a fight, you're just going to let the Lord fight your cause and you're going to honor him, etc. These things produce certain character in us. So that's another reason, friends, that we fight the culture wars. All right, so real quick summary of the first. If we don't engage, society collapses. If we, that's one. Two, if we don't engage, we lose our conscience and our souls. Three, as God's light in the world, this is who we are and what we do. Four, doing good also means opposing evil. And five, we are being conformed into the image of God's Son. So 
we come back, I want to get through 6 through 10. I may get to some calls as well. Uh, we may talk elections a bit more. But I do want to focus on the subject because it, it comes up. It's a major question. It can be very frustrating when we see things go up and down, up and down, back and forth. But friends, we do what we do for many reasons in the sight of God, reasons that are of eternal consequence. We'll be right back. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on The Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome, welcome to The Line of Fire as we talk about why we engage in the culture wars. Here, look at it like this. Let's just say that the party that carries your values is the Democratic Party. Well, you know you're going to vote for them, and they and they get in. They're going to make some inroads and do certain things, and then it's going to swing, and then Republicans are going to get in. Then the Republicans are going to do their thing, and it's going to go back and forth and back and forth. Maybe your values lie with the Republican Party. You vote Republican, and then the Republicans get in. They do things, and the Democrats get in. They undo things. It's back and forth and back and forth. Why bother? Well, obviously, if you don't vote at all, then other parties are going to get in, or the other party – and they're going to bring about an agenda which ultimately is going to affect you and your family and the way you live and, and on a practical day-to-day -day level. And ultimately, as I said at the beginning, that if we don't stand, if we don't do what's right, then everything collapses around us, society collapses around us, that pretty soon we can't even practice our faith in peace. And it could be that the government comes and takes away your children because you want to raise them in, in a Christian home, in a Christian environment. You say, well, we'll just escape to the mountains. No, we're not called to just escape to the mountains. We're called to go into all the world and make disciples. So that's not our option. And plus, how many people are going to, oh, so everyone's going to escape to the mountains. Pretty soon the mountain's going to be overpopulated. <clears throat> all right. So I, I gave you in the first half of the broadcast the first five reasons why we engage in culture wars. Now, let me give you uh, six through ten. And, and let me back into number six. I was talking to a rabbi decades ago, and he told me a Jewish joke. How do you know that Isaac wore yarmulke? So the kippah in Hebrew, the head covering. How do we know that Isaac wore a yarmulke when he prayed? Well, in point of fact, we know historically that that, that was not part of the culture then, that this is a later Jewish tradition. So your average Jew, even in, in, in Yeshua's day, in Jesus' day, was not walking around with what we know of as the, the yarmulke or, or the kippah, the head covering today, that little cap on, on the, the, the top of the head. Uh, so to, to say Isaac was doing is completely anachronistic. You're, you're pointing something back on him that didn't really happen. But it's a Jewish joke. How do you know that Isaac wore yarmulke himself? And it says in, in Genesis 24 that Isaac went into the field to meditate, others say to pray. And the Jewish joke is, you mean he went to pray and he wasn't wearing a yarmulke? So you prove what you're out to prove by your presuppositions. Now, what I'm going to say sounds like that, but, but hear me out. Another reason, number six, another reason that we get involved in the culture wars answers the question, how do disciples live? If we're called to go and make disciples, how do disciples live? What does it mean to, do, to be a disciple? Let me take you over to Isaiah chapter 58. And, and 
God is rebuking the people because they look, oh, they seek God daily. They delight to know his ways, but they don't, they don't live right, right? They delight to draw near to God. We fast and you're not looking. We humble ourselves. You take no knowledge. And God says, verse 3 of Isaiah 58, look, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Look, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is, is that the fast I chose, a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and, and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and, and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and to bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then shall your light break forth like dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. And it goes on from there. Then you'll call and the Lord will answer. You'll cry and he'll say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and spreading wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as noonday. It goes on with wonderful promises, then ends speaking about Sabbath observance for, for ancient Israel. Uh, but, but here's the point. God's saying, you, you want to fast in a way that gets my attention. Don't you say, we're not eating. We're suffering for the Lord. We're hungry, but we're not eating because we want our prayers to be answered. Say, yeah, you're just doing your own thing. You're, you may not be eating, but you're living selfishly, and you're not dealing with injustice, and you're not caring for the needy. So you do that. Fast and do that. That'll get my attention. So how do disciples live? Disciples do these very things because that's what disciples do. It's just like light shines. That was a previous one, right? That, that one reason we do what we do is because we are light. We are also disciples. Number seven, we engage in the culture wars for the same reason that we feed the hungry and give to the poor. Didn't Jesus say the poor you will always have with you? Isn't that a reality? You, you feed hungry people today. They're going to be hungry people tomorrow. And that's the way it's going to be until Jesus returns. Why bother feeding the hungry? Why bother caring for the poor and the needy? Why bother adopting children when they're always going to be orphans? Why bother rescuing people from human trafficking when they're going to be other victims? You, you see where this is going. Well, because every single life matters. Because the one that we do get is important. Because the, the child that is, is sustained and doesn't die of hunger now has a life to live. And the poor person that, that now has compassion shown them and now has some hope to make it to the next day, that life matters as well. You know, it's the story of someone asking Mother Teresa, you know, how do you deal with the fact that you're trying to help all these people, so many terribly poor people, They've lived in poverty. They're going to die in poverty and misery, but you just bring them in so they can die a, a dignified death. What about all the others? And, and her answer was, was one less, one less. Each one we help is one less. It's like the story of, of, of the kid that's going down the beach and all these starfish are just laying there. You know, they've, they've come in with the waves and now they're just trapped and they're dying in the sand. And he's picking them up and, and throwing them back in the water. 
And someone says to him, yeah, but most aren't going to live. And he goes, some will. <laughs> They're all going to die, but at least we can help some to live. So in the same way, yeah, the culture wars are always going to be here. That is a fact. Until Jesus returns, there's going to be corruption, there's going to be sin, there's going to be injustice, there's going to be evil. There's going to be bad people doing bad things, and many of them justifying them and calling them good. There's going to be people calling evil good and good evil. That's going to happen until Jesus comes. But every life we can help, we help. Look, many things are very discouraging in this world. If, if you're involved in sex trafficking, fighting that horrific evil in our day, it, it can be very, very discouraging because there's, I mean, it's so much money being made and so much power behind it and so much corruption and, and people looking the other way to let it happen and so on. And, and, and then you, you, know, you grab, you get somebody pulled out and then they get pulled back in. You know, it, it happens overseas a lot where you get someone from a very, very poor community and they go into the big city looking for work. And, and they get a, you know, I've got a job. And well, the job ends up there, they're sold into prostitution. Well, money is made, they're able to send money back to their parents. And if they don't do this, their parents may die. And then worse, many times they're threatened. If, if you, if you leave, we're going to kill your parents. I know of cases, friends of mine involved know of cases where children who were sold into sex trafficking were rescued and then escaped to go back into it for fear that their parents would be killed by their owners if they didn't. That's going to be very discouraging, but thank God for the ones that are rescued. Thank God for the ones that are now following Jesus and being cared for in loving homes. Thank God for the little girls that are now rebuilding their lives after being trafficked as little kids. And when you look in their eyes and you see the smiles and you see the hope that's there and they're no longer being abused and they're no longer being victimized, thank God, thank God, thank God. So the same way you feed the hungry, understanding there's still going to be hunger. And the same way you care for the poor, understanding there's still going to be poverty, that's the same way we fight the culture wars. Because, hey, you want a victory in your school board. Hey, you got that bad curriculum out of out of your preschool system there. Hey, you were able to get a, a pro-life bill passed in your state. Hey, you were able to get that mother to change her mind to, to not have that abortion. And, and now she and, and her little daughter are following Jesus together and are so happy that they have each other. So every, every life matters. Num number eight, number eight, it is part of our mission as followers of the Messiah to pursue justice. It is part of our mission as followers of the Messiah to pursue justice. Look at what's written in a glorious messianic prophecy in Isaiah chapter 42. Isaiah 42. And it says this about the Messiah, the servant of the Lord. Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth mishpat. That's the Hebrew word for justice. It can also mean judgment, like a righteous judgment. But here, justice. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a fainting, a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Well, how is he establishing justice? How is he going about doing that? It's not simply with his return. It's not only when he comes back. No, 
He is actively doing it now through us. Christian influence in different parts of the world through the centuries has brought about positive change. And some of it has lasted, like the eradication of slavery from, from the United Kingdom and from America. There's slavery in many other parts of the world to this day. But things have been eradicated. Righteous laws have been changed and in some cases have lasted generations. And even though you have like, you know, mixed martial arts and combat sports, we don't have gladiatorial sports, do we? Where the winner kills the loser and everyone is cheering as the person's being killed. Right? The, the certain things that got eradicated because of Christianity as it spread through the Roman Empire and things like that over the centuries. Well, it's, it's the same today that we are God's ambassadors of justice. That as, as, arms and legs as, as mouthpieces, as the Messiah's body functioning here in the earth, that we are the ones through whom he brings justice. And that's another reason that we fight the culture wars. I understand that these overlap. All right, we've got a couple more, but I think the next one is going to be absolutely fascinating. If you'd like to call in, 866-343. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on The Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Just a reminder, the clock is ticking, getting closer by the day. Six months from now, God willing, we will be in Israel together, having the trip of a lifetime, just an extraordinary time together in the land going to places where Bible history happened, going to places where Bible prophecy is going to unfold and the Lord will return, seeing places of ancient significance. uh, Just you step into a different world. And what I love best about the trips is seeing how going to these places impacts people, changes their perspective. Uh, Some have said, you know, you read the Bible in black and white before, and now you're reading it in color. they're just other aspects. Think, things happen that are very, very sacred. So I'll run into people that I've seen, you know, haven't been on a trip for years, and they'll, they'll come up all in through. We were on that trip with you. They remember. And, and then others, others will, will come back multiple times. They, they just enjoy it that much and want to get back. And it's like so much to take in. They want to go take it in again. And then at night, we get to hang out. You know, I go from different, have meals with different folks each night. But then afterwards, we'll do a, we'll do a Q&A meeting. Or I'll do a live radio show if you want. You can sit in on it. We, we've got other extra things planned. A special night with doctors Mark and Angela Stengler. They want to answer your health nutrition questions. I mean, face-to-face, just this. Why don't we do that? Because they're on the trip. So if you haven't signed up yet, there still is time. But you have to go to the website, Ask Dr. Brown. It's limited. Seating's limited. Time's limited. It's We've been saying seating's limited for a while because we got close to being filled, and then we still have some room. And we've had some room. So now is the time to sign up. AskDrBrown.org. Just scroll down on the page. You'll see uh, these slides, and then you'll see the Israel trip. Okay, so let me give you the last few reasons why we engage in the culture wars, even when it looks like two steps forward, three steps backward, even when it looks like big victory here, big defeat here, progress here, loss here. So let me give you the last two reasons. And I'm sure we could expand. I'm sure others could give me some other ideas 
as as well. But I, I wanted to give you ten. So in Jeremiah chapter twenty-two, there is a very very strong rebuke for a godless leader. Okay, and here is a message to the sons of Josiah, the sons of Josiah, beginning in verse eleven. For thus says the Lord concerning Shalom. The son of Josiah, king of Judah, who reigned instead of Josiah, his father, and went away from this place, he shall return here no more. So um, this is speaking about uh, Jehoiachin, and uh, also known as Shalom or Jeconiah. So uh, he shall return here no more, but in the place where they've carried him captive, there shall he die, and he shall never see this land again. Woe to him who builds his house by unrighteousness and his upper rooms by injustice, who makes his neighbor servant for nothing, does not give him his wages, who says, I will build myself a great house with spacious upper rooms, who cuts out windows for it, paneling it with cedar and painting it with vermilion. Do you think you are a king because you compete in cedar? Did not your father eat and drink? Now look at this. Did not your father eat and drink and do justice and righteousness? Then it was well with him. He judged the cause of the poor and needy. Then it was well. Is not this to know me, declares the Lord? That verse jumped out at me for the first time 20-something years ago when a brother from Atlanta who had a ministry, kind of a Salvation Army ministry like the old days, when they were actively bringing the gospel on the streets and then in that context, caring for the poor and the needy. And he called us to do this and he read this verse. I thought, wow, I just never jumped off the page at me about Josiah. He judged the cause of the poor and needy. Then it was well. Is not this to know me, declares the Lord. So we do this because this is part of the nature of God. I said earlier that we do these things because it's conforming us to the character of Jesus, conforming us to be like the Son of God. Well, this is the flip side of it, that, that by doing justice and righteousness and judging, meaning standing up for advocating the cause of the poor and the needy, well, we're doing that with the culture wars. Some of you are involved in various social reforms, and you're, 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 you work for prison reform or, or reforming in sentences where there are unjust sentences, right? Or you, you, are, you are pro-life in different ways and working for abortion, against abortion, working for adoption, foster care. I was at a preaching at a church in Corpus Christi, Texas, Sunday morning on two different campuses. And the first campus they announced, hey, we've got someone here. Uh, this is our drive for adoption and foster care. Meet with them afterwards. You can talk to them, find out more about what they're doing. So this is, it, it comes in many, many different ways that we express these things. But judging, advocating for the cause of the poor and needy is to know God. It, this reflects the character and nature of God. That's another reason we engage in the culture wars. It's not just because we want to win the culture wars. It's because of the the fact that we're operating in a way that reflects our knowing God. And then lastly, in doing so, we are functioning as witnesses. In doing these things, we are functioning as witnesses, and, and this is part of our testimony to the world. Uh, this, this is part of our speaking to the world and demonstrating righteousness. This is part of our calling the world to repent. 
this is part of, of, of our telling the world, you're in sin. You're living lives that are wrong in God's sight, but God sent his son to die for you that you could be saved, that you could be forgiven, that you could have a new life. So this is part of our functioning as witnesses, declaring the righteousness of God, declaring the evil of sin, and showing there's a better way. So, review. Number one, if we don't engage, society collapses. Number two, if we don't engage, we lose our conscience and our souls. Number three, as God's light in the world, this is who we are and what we do. Number four, doing good also means opposing evil. Number five, we're being conformed to the image of God's Son. Number six, how do disciples live? Number seven, just as we feed the hungry and give to the, to the poor, meet the needs of the poor, it, you're helping one person, two people, however, whatever you're doing, every life counts. Number eight, we pursue justice as agents of the Messiah, as, as his hands and feet in this world. Number nine, doing so reflects the nature of God and reflects our knowing God. Number 10, this is part of our calling as witnesses. So be encouraged, friends. Be encouraged. You may have had things go in your state a way that was different than you planned, but hey, what about your neighborhood? Hey, what about your family? What, what about the fact that by standing strong for your family, your kids see your moral example and their heart? And, and one of their friends who's really confused and lost, they, they see the stability of your family and how you, you've acted with integrity and, and, and justice. And, and you turn. I, I, was, I was walking through a grocery store one day, and I had spoken up at, at a city council meeting about some of the crazy stuff going on in the schools or school board meeting. I, I forget what it was. But just about this crazy bathroom bill and, and you know, which would have normalized you just however you identify, use the bathroom of your choice and any public facility in, in the state and the city, whatever it was. And, and, and everyone had two or three minutes. Well, somehow this person happened to see my testimony. I guess it appeared on TV, local TV. And she just said to me, you know, thank you. You know, somebody's speaking with sanity. She, she may not have been a Christian. She may have disagreed with me on other points. But it, it was just, it made a difference. It, it, no, the vote went the other way because it was preset. That's the way it was going to go. And those people that had their view had their view. And, and what we, we've learned subsequently is the key then is to change who's on the school board to reflect the values that you believe are best, just like others have done with values that we think are worse. Well, let's, let's advocate for ours and use the system. But we are making a difference. Light is shining in darkness. And either way, we do this as witnesses. We do this as a testimony. We do this to tell the world these are the standards of God, even if nobody listens, even if nobody hears. Thankfully, lives are being impacted. Lives are being changed. People are listening. People are watching. Keep doing what you are doing. Ultimately, the battle belongs to the Lord. Pastor Jack Hibbs said this when Proposition 1, horrific pro-abortion law in California passed. Pastor Hibbs said, perhaps more than anything, the loss of Proposition 1 is a revelation of just how irrelevant the church at large is in California. This reality is due to the lack of pastors understanding what the calling to the pulpit means. We must not only preach the gospel to the lost, but sadly there's a profound disconnect at making disciples. Jesus said, let your light shine before the world, and we did not. The California Christian community failed to show up to defend the unborn child, but for the few who did, their consciences are clear before the Lord. So we're not primarily talking about Getting political, we're talking about standing for righteousness, doing what's right, which will then, of course, affect how we vote and that we do vote. All right, so here are the results to the Twitter poll just from four or five hours ago. In your view, why did the Republicans 
underperformed so dramatically in the midterms. We only have our first 600-something votes in. Um, the least, the lowest choice came about out of the four I could put on Twitter. Pro-abortion sentiments, that got 18.5% of the vote. Bad candidates, that got 21.6% of the vote. Voter fraud got 29% of the vote. So obviously people still think that's an issue. To me, the focus on that now in terms of why the elections went the way they did is a distraction. But wherever there's fraud, in any case, either way, just look, let's do better, right? And then uh, slightly higher than that, Trump is toxic, 31%. So it's interesting they were, they, were, they were divided. There was not just one that dominated and the others didn't. But we're just speculating. We're trying to understand why things went the way they went. And my, my desire was to see Republican Senate uh, primarily to push back against the wrongness of the uh, Biden administration in terms of some of the key points of agenda. And this would stalemate things more. Again, as I've said, it's like putting a wedge in the door. Another program powered by the Truth Network.